Morning. The Lord is good. His mercy is new. Every morning. Is um <clears throat> today I wanna study or an opening before Brother Jacob got up here for the main message. I wanna look at Mark eleven. And the reason, of course, that I want to look at Mark 11 is to look at a, at a dimension of Jesus that I hope will maybe touch or prick our hearts. And of course, as we, as we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, that's the reason we do it. The reason we, we gather here this morning is because of Jesus. It's the reason we exist. It's the reason we have we found grace. And it's always it's always good to find Jesus in the things we read and study and meditate in the Word of God. So a warm welcome to all the visitors. We're blessed to have you this morning. Uh, but before we're going to go into, I want to open with a prayer. We can bow our heads. <clears throat> Lord, we want to worship you this morning, our Father in heaven. And we thank you for this time. We thank you that the church can still gather. We pray, Lord, that our hearts, that our hearts are moldable, shapeable, so that you can move and shape and conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, we pray as we, as we go into your word that we may see a clear picture of who you are and to see your, to see your very heart, Lord. Jesus, when you, when you even walked on this earth, and not only then, but also now, to discern, to see, to see and recognize the signs and the times we're living in, Lord. We pray, Lord, for your word to minister this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will convict and move. We pray there's no room for the enemy in this room this morning. But, Lord, we pray that our hearts are ready to receive. We pray, Lord, that our hearts are ready to reproduce. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Mark 11, we, um, we have the, the account that I really want to focus in is Jesus cleansing the temple. And so many times we look at it maybe and say, well, Jesus can, could have wrath and all, all that stuff. But what really touched me the last time I read this story is what, what moved Jesus to the point that he started cleansing the temple? What was his heart behind it? What moved him? What, what aroused that, that indignation that he had? 
And I think all four Gospels record that incident. And if we, if we read all four of them, you get a more rounded picture of what must have happened in his life or in, in, in Jesus' heart as he came near to Jerusalem. For example, in Luke 1941, he said, as he drew near, as he, as he drew near to the city, he saw the city, he looked over it, and he wept over it. He, he just broke down and he wept over Jerusalem. Now, Again, we read these verses, we read Jesus wept, and we see the shortest verse in the Bible. But as flesh and blood, how often do we stop before entering a town, a community, a church, and we just look and we start weeping? The heart and the, and the, the compassion that he had, and he was moved to tears. In verse 42, it said, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. If you only knew what make your peace. So he looked over Jerusalem, being fully aware of who he was, and he was simply moved to, he was moved to tears. And it gives us a picture how Jesus must have felt multiple times dealing with his people or dealing with people in general. God becoming flesh and walking among men, among his own, and not being recognized for who he is. Jesus is God in flesh. So starting in verse 7 of Mark 11. Then they brought the coal to Jesus and drew his clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leaf, leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And we come to verse 11, and it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Another verse says he went out to the lodge in Bethany. So, through all the excitement, he, he came into the Jeru to Jerusalem. And remember how he looked at it. He was grieved. He was full of compassion. And he just looked around, looked at everything. And he retired for the night. It says that he went to Bethany. He looked and observed everything quietly and left. And he could have lived off the moment of the entry into Jerusalem when they gave him the king's entrance, leaving branches on the ground, robes, and you name it. But you can see right there, that was not his heart. 
he could have taken this momentum, momentum and lift off that. <clears throat> so in verse 12 now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And the first thing he saw was the fig tree. And seeing from afar, in verse 13, a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Again, I, I think I touched about that a few weeks ago here. Um, I don't think that Jesus was so upset that he couldn't find food. He had gone much longer without food, 40 days and 40 nights. I don't think he had a temper because there wasn't food right then and there. I think there was a, there was a righteous indignation burning in his heart. And that fig tree reminded him, reminded him of it. Through these incidents, we see how Jesus must have heard and was heard by his own people, by the people that he had created. He had a, he had a human side. He had emotions like you and me. He was hurt. He, rejection is always painful. So down in verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money and changers, of the money changers and the seeds of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. So that, that again is not just a, a fling deal. He said, it says he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Or maybe carry merchandise through the temple. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. That wasn't just going in and upsetting a few tables and running out again. There was some authority... Some, something that really ignited in him of just seeing the temple being so abused. And I wonder again, was it, was it actually just the actual temple or was it again the blindness that was there? Like we read in, in Luke but now you're, they are hidden from your eyes, the things of God, the mysteries of God. And he stayed. It goes on in verse 17. Then he thought, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? For all nations, but you made it a den of thieves. And Jesus was quoting Isaiah 56, 7 there. And again, we can see the passion that he had for his house. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished 
at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city again. It was an eventful day. He got a message across. He moved people in that temple that day, that very day. And it, it does make you wonder the jealousy that he had over the temple. So the next morning, Jesus came back to the, with the disciples. And they came close, closer to Jerusalem. And again, they noticed the fig tree. And it was dead. But through that, Jesus taught them about prayer and faith, about forgiveness. We'll move on further down to verse 27. And when they came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, so here after this very eventful day, he went back to the temple. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him. So they were ready for him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Like, they were obviously upset. But they saw there was an authority. By what authority? They knew there was something behind it. And you can see they were conspiring and wondering what to do. You can see they were threatened. But can you look at the picture clearly? Now looking back, asking Jesus about authority. Now let's put ourselves in his shoes. Men that he had created walk up to him and saying, by what authority are you doing these things? Can you imagine the meekness and the humility it took for Jesus to actually respond? How do most human, human beings react when their authority is questioned, even as a man? <laughs> we really want to react if our, if our demand is questioned, even our personal things or whatever that may be. We get fired up. But look, here's creator God in flesh and men walking up to him. By what authority are you doing these things? But, but Jesus just had a very meaningful conversation. He said, Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me and I tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, well, we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. What a wise comeback for Jesus. So the answer and said to Jesus, we do not know. And obviously they weren't truthful. They, most likely they lied. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So even in their own hearts, they had to reckon who Jesus was. And Jesus always has been and always will be. And here we have men 
questioning his authority. Again, the humility and the meekness it took. And wasn't that his temple? Wasn't that his temple? Didn't he give the instructions on that? Of how it should be? But wait. Just a second here. Before we get to riled up about these incidents. Let's look at our, at another temple. The Bible speaks about another temple. It actually refers to our body and to the church as a temple. Oops. Now it's pointed to us, not to the Pharisees and to the scribes who wanted their own agenda going. Now, how much authority does Jesus have over these temples? In John's Gospel, after this very incident where Jesus cleansed the temple, he refers to his own body as the temple. So, our body is referred to as a temple. The church, the, 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 the unity of the church is referred to as a temple through the Holy Spirit. I wonder if Jesus looks at our temple, if he sees all manner of activities and exploitations and abuse that shouldn't be there. Remember the same indignation that he saw there, I believe, with that same... And jealousy, with that same jealousy, he looks at our temple, especially if we have experienced, as it speaks in Hebrews, and tasted, tasted of that heavenly gift. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he asks, Paul asks, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So with that same jealousy, he, I believe he's looking at his people now. God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The Bible also refers to, in Ephesians, as God's people fitly joined together to be a dwelling place. In Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitly joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. God's dwelling place. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes about and warns about defiling that very temple. 
the church, the, of God's sins coming together and being one, being in unity. So God still looks, Jesus still looks at, at his people. He, he still has, I believe, that same jealousy over our personal commitment, over our, our striving together as a, as a people, wherever we may be, to be part of that body. So the challenge is this morning, do we give Jesus the authority to cleanse and purify us, our hearts, our life? Purify us even to the point where it may hurt, where it may maybe deal with things in our lives that we didn't even expect to. Seeing Jesus walking into the temple and, and uh, going around with a cord and upsetting tables wasn't a pretty picture. And maybe sometimes in our life, that's what it needs. But are we willing to let him cleanse and purify us? Maybe we need to remove practices, activities, possessions, or whatever that may be that we have embraced or adopted that we shouldn't have. Remember, the temple was not meant to be a house of merchandise, of money changers. It was supposed to be a, a house of prayer for all nations. And look how his people defiled that temple. In some way, somehow, there needs to be a continuous examination in our lives to cleanse and purify. So when we have this encounter with Jesus or the Jesus, we have this visitation. Do we let him cleanse? Do we let him clean house? Or do we, are we the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the rulers there that say, wait, hey, hey, hey. no, 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 no. That's not your domain. Glorifying God is pursuing purity in our life and let him cleanse and purify and work on us and conform us into that very image of Christ. So may God help us with that. And may we realize that God, our creator God, is in the business of cleansing and purifying and conforming us into the image of Christ. Amen. Amen.